0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. When uh, our boys were young, we'd go to a restaurant, and every once in a while they'd say, hey, Dad, can I get a special drink, you know? And on those rare occasions where I was feeling generous, and I would say <laughs> yes. You know, They never waited for the waitress to come and ask, yeah, tap water. The most mystical realms of our faith and the most everyday physical parts of our life are made to go together. If this seems odd, if this makes no sense, then you've probably been handed bad instructions about God and faith. So this morning, I'd like to narrate the story of the spirit working in the midst of deep and chaotic waters, always summoning us to life. So act one is creation. It's our first reading. Our story begins where every good story should, in the beginning. I looked down at our liturgy guide this morning. I I wondered, um, I'm not sure if I have one here, um, how many of us even... Know what this is? We may not do a good job of communicating it, but there's a little number next to the scripture reading. The number is one. That's the page number in the Bible um, that are in the back. If you don't have one to bring with you, um, you can bring it. You know, open up the page numbers. There's something I really enjoyed about looking down. Like we're starting with page one in the beginning. Everything starts with God. God speaks and light responds, it comes into being. One way of reading Genesis 1, and there are a number of them, that's part of the beauty of this uh, this chapter of the Bible, but one of the ways of reading Genesis 1 is less of history, at least the way we think of history, and more as a litany of worship, that there's a call and there's a response. There's a call and there's a response. That Genesis 1 is actually orchestrating an act of worship about God's activity in the world. If we miss this turn that everything begins with God, we will miss the entire story. If we as a church miss the basic truth that our life begins and ends with God, then we have lost the story. We've lost who we are. Everything from that fatal flaw will go haywire. But even here, with an idea so simple as this word beginning, we don't really know for sure what it actually means. Is it the beginning of time? Is it the beginning of this narrative? Is it the beginning of these, uh, this idea of days? Well, here's a brain-bender of an idea. Work with me for just a minute. What about, as we read from John last week, last Sunday, where John told us that Jesus was the Word in the beginning, the one through whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made that was made, the one who is himself light and the life of all humanity, Maybe when Genesis says in the beginning, though you'd never know this as you're just reading Genesis, but maybe perhaps you trek your way through the entire story and you arrive at the Gospel of John, and maybe this word, the beginning, is another way of saying that everything we are, everything that makes us who we are, everything that we enjoy and think we know, and everything that we think is merely physical... Maybe everything that defines our life is all completely bound up in God, who is Jesus Christ, who is himself the beginning. And maybe this means that that creation, that life that's bound up in God, continues now. What if we are actually, in a certain sense, still in the beginning? Since Jesus is the light of all humanity, and since Jesus illumines the entire world, since without Jesus, we would never exist. Because without Jesus, you remember, nothing is made that has been made. So creation is not merely a historical point in the past, but a reality that's happening now. In you, with us. God everywhere, God creating everywhere, grace everywhere, Jesus everywhere, holding the whole world together with his energy and his life. Yeah, crazy, I know. But it sounds very similar to something that Paul tells us in Colossians, that the whole world is even now held together in God. Sometimes someone will ask me, you know, kind of like get me on the side, like I'm out from, you know, know, no one else can hear me, and and so they think they're going to get the real thing, like, okay, this God thing. Creation, like you really believe that. You really believe that somehow in the beginning God is actually behind it all. And I like to say, you have no idea. It's way crazier than that. I think God's doing it now. So in this Genesis account, you have waters. And it's interesting the way you actually read the way the story is given to us. Water already existed when we pick up the story. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters of the deep the face of the deep. The image of these waters is that of a chaotic, murky reality. And out of these waters, God speaks. God summons light, and light comes. And I love that God says, let it be. Just hear that for a moment, that God's creative act, the words that God spoke to call light into being was, let it be. Isn't that different from be? (laughs) Let it be. There's an authority and yet a gentleness. There's a humility, not creating by overpowering, but by inviting. This is the way God creates, it's always the way God creates. This is one of my hopes for all souls that we would be a community who by God's active spirit invites one another into the awakening inviting creative life of God. We've all been around people who their mere presence shuts us down. They almost can't help themselves. They do not summon life. They speak death. And we've been around, hopefully, at least a few people who in their presence and in their being and with their words, there is an invitation, a summoning. So that's Act 1. The Acts will move quicker from here. You'll say, thanks be to God. (laughs) Act 2 is Exodus. We didn't actually read this story this morning, but it's behind what John the Baptist is doing in the Jordan River. Israel had gone through the Jordan as God was leading them out of Egypt. It was the great exodus. This is the pivotal story of the Old Testament. You cannot understand Israel or the Bible or Jesus or the church without understanding the exodus. Where God carried Israel through the Jordan to rescue them from slavery and to carry them home. This was the defining narrative for Israel. It was the assurance to them that they were God's people and that God's presence was with them and that they would never be forgotten, not even in the wilderness. So the waters that they crossed, Jordan, so there is the great water before them and Pharaoh's raging army and sharpened steel is coming behind them, and there's the water, and those waters must have seemed like death. But they had to choose (laughs) which death. So God calls them into the waters. What chance did they have with Pharaoh's army coming down anyway? So God invites them because God was their only hope. And can you believe it? They came out the other side, dry as a parched desert stone. God was again, hovering over the waters. Again, summoning them to life. So act 3 was the gospel that we read, John's John doing this work of baptizing. But here John is baptizing the people again in the Jordan, and it's a sign of repentance. The people had forgotten God and abandoned the story of their life. And this wild man in the desert eating locusts and wild honey and clothed in camel's hair and rough leather, he was thundering a message of repentance for the people to change, to turn around, to return to God. And this baptism is their surrender to this God, the same God who in those same waters carried Israel out of Egypt, and that this same God would carry them out of their despair. And their baptism was a symbol of their willingness to follow God again, even into the face of the deep. So God was, again, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, again summoning these people into true life. And so we have Act 4, Jesus' baptism. And here Jesus stands, the very one who would rescue us. The one John the Baptist proclaimed as the hope and the light of the world. The very one who himself would baptize all of us with this Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that we find tracing its way all the way back to the story in the beginning. Even though in the narrative of in the beginning, we wouldn't have even begun to have a sense of who this Holy Spirit is. Now we discover that this Spirit of God is creating life again. And there's Jesus in the middle of those same waters, those same waters that Israel passed through. We find that Jesus, in this moment, is going to launch a life of doing for Israel and for the world what Israel had been unable to do. What none of us actually could do that Jesus would be faithful to the Father. Jesus would be the great healer. Jesus would defeat evil, defeat death. Jesus would show us what it means to be truly human. Jesus would be for us light and life. And Jesus, just like Israel, went through those Jordan waters. And God's Spirit descended onto Jesus. And this is uh, Act four, but it's really not the end of the story, not at all. There's the story in Acts, where this holy Spirit erupts over all of us. We are all invited into Jesus' baptism. This is why the invitation to all who would have Jesus is to be baptized with Jesus and by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. It's to be drowned in those waters of baptism to be undone by the futility of our self-efforts, to be remade by love. Baptism is this wild experience in the wilderness where we've drowned, where the old life is killed. Following Jesus is not a trite, easy affair if the call to faith and the invitation of Jesus never makes us quake in our boots, at least a little bit, if it never calls into question anything about our life, if you always leave every Sunday, all souls feeling quite comfortable, trouble, and probably not your trouble, our trouble, (laughs) The voice of the spirit is one that always is summoning us to life, and always summoning us out of death. If there is never a conflict between the life that we know and the life we believe God is calling us to, we should perk up our ears. At the same time, baptism, as Brendan reminded us, is where we hear God's voice. You are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son. And this is why we actually need not fear as our life is challenged by the call to follow Jesus because we are following the one who says, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. If our call to faith never resurrects dead things, if it never awakens hopes and futures that we've imagined impossible, if God's voice never pierces into the deep places of our heart and names us as good and beloved and touches tender places that we didn't even realize were there, we need to listen again. Because God is always hovering over those deep waters. God is always summoning us to life. This is what God has done from the beginning. It is what god did with his people israel it is what god did with his own son in john's baptizing him in the jordan river it is what god does with us in our own baptism it is what god is doing with us in this very moment that god is resurrecting something new god is challenging god is prodding god is inviting God is awakening. God is emboldening. And in all this, the call is for God's people to say, yes, yes. Will you pray with me? God, your Holy Spirit summons us to life. We want to hear those words. We want to answer them. We want to say yes in response. Would you help us to say yes to you, God? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.